0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you have joined us. What a week we have had in the news. Start with Election Day, which brought us all kinds of firsts and all kinds of change. Uh, but it didn't end there. Uh, things got crazier, it seems, later in the week with The press conference in the White House with the firing of the attorney general, the questions about the ongoing Mueller investigation. There is so much to talk about. And uh, I've got a great partner this morning to discuss all of the things that we have seen in the news. Devin Skillian is one of the anchors on WDEV, D-I-V, Channel 4 here in Detroit. WDEV, I like that. WDEV, Let's go with that. It's like a combination (laughs) of uh, television and radio, right? That's my next contract (laughs) demand, WDEV. That's right. You have to change the call (laughs) letters for me. Uh, Devin, welcome to Detroit It's always good to be with you, Yes, it's great to see you. Uh, I want to start, uh, and I want to start here quite selfishly, in fact. Uh, I have been super curious since... We saw the dust-up in the East Room of the White House between Donald Trump, uh, the President of the United States, and Jim Acosta, who's a White House correspondent for CNN. Uh, they got into it in a way that I have never seen uh, yeah. with between a president and a reporter. Uh, and, of course, there are lots and lots of things being said about the president and about Jim. But the reason I'm curious about your take on it is because you're a broadcast journalist. Uh, you've had to to go to press conferences with cameras and ask mm. important people questions and, and get answers and then decide, did I get a good enough answer or do I go back and ask it again or do I get a little more aggressive? I, I thought this was extraordinary on both sides. I uh, Again, I've never seen anything quite like it. Yeah. But, but as a broadcaster, I wonder what you make of what Jim Acosta did what he asked and then how he responded
1: it was really uncomfortable to watch wasn't it, it was like <laughs> yes. should we all be saying I thought, this? I
0: thought at some point you might punch him
1: well and, and yeah it, it looked it was so tense and looking at the faces of the other uh, people in the room that it was unusual for them too and they're doing this you know every day and they've watched this sort of bubble up between not just jim acosta but the president and cnn and a number of other media outlets um I uh, I've always wondered a little bit at 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 the the wisdom of broadcasting news conferences. Um, the, this is really watching the sausage being made, and it's you know most news conferences are not broadcast, of course. And reporters ask their questions, they take the answers that they want, they go back and they fit them into their story. Presidential news conferences, of course, have now been. Broadcast for a long time sure. because just about anything the president says, especially this one, um, because he's so um, shooting from the hip, uh, is, is 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 liable to make news. I I I I'm of course I'm going to take up for, for Jim. Uh, I I think he was probably grandstanding a little bit. I also think though that this dynamic has been very informed by the fact that the president every day is calling the press the enemy of the people. sure. And so, of course, people like Jim Acosta come in with their backup a little bit. But the president was also angling for a fight that day. That's why he called on Jim Acosta to begin with. Yes. It's also why he
0: had a press conference the day after an election.
1: I can't really remember the
0: last time a president did that so quickly after Mm -hmm. a midterm election. I can remember very, very clearly President Barack Obama... After the 2010 elections, where he took bigger losses, uh, yeah. quite yeah. frankly, than than Donald Trump did, I remember the press conference that he gave, and it was it was a while after, I believe, uh, it may have been the next day, but it certainly wasn't in this sort of uh, emergent uh, climate where it seemed like he needed to come out right away and answer what voters had done, and and he was very thoughtful about what message he thought voters were sending him, and he, he talked about being spanked. I think it was yeah, the, the, yeah, the the word yeah. he used that, uh, that that voters had really really spoken loudly about their displeasure with him. Uh, Donald Trump seemed more motivated by uh, a pushback that yep, that to absolutely. say this doesn't mean anything. I don't I don't care that voters did what they did. You know the idea that he came out and trashed. Members of his own party, uh, right. who he felt like uh, didn't didn't show the respect that they should have to embrace. him, embrace. Uh, yeah, didn't right?
1: Didn't take the embrace, which is a really yeah. strange uh, um, <laughs> choice right. of words. That's right. Um, but I think that it, 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 with, I, I I I I think for a president to look at somebody like Jim Acosta and with the whole world watching and saying. You know, you're a horrible person mm-hmm. and and uh, CNN should be uh, ashamed of themselves for having you. And, and he Jim, uh, you know, whatever you think about the style in which he was asking those, those are very legitimate questions mm-hmm. he was asking.
0: Yeah, they, they, were, they were fine questions. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I wanted to kiss Peter Alexander, who, you know, stood up for him and said, no, Mr. President, this is a hardworking journalist who's, you know, and I'm never going to win over the people who are on Donald Trump's side about the media. And I, I, I think it's really, this is a, a really helpful time to remember that Barack Obama thought the media treated him unfairly. Sure. Bill Clinton thought the media treated him unfairly. George Bush. This is the, you know, this is kind of the, I think, a healthy role. I don't think, I don't, you, you don't want anybody feeling like they're getting uh, too, getting what they want. Exactly. Our, you know, journalists, I, I you know, the, the old saying is that our job as journalists is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and and I, the president
0: I, is the most comfortable person in exactly. uh, all of them. Exactly. And and, uh,
1: and his ideas and uh, statements need to be challenged in a very healthy and vibrant way. I think that's that, that really is part of it. Then this crazy thing, though, comes where the White House releases, uh, you know, Sarah Sanders retweets this doctored video, <laughs> which weird video, is, of course, right? definitive fake news yeah, that right. somebody cooked up. <laughs> right. Um, it really, a, a, just a mind-blowing day all the way around, and yeah. and I it, it it leaves me very depressed, and uh, every every time in these things happen, um, I, I I and again, really, if I if I was sitting, if I was a close friend of of Jim Acosta's, I I would talk to him a little bit about you know about tone, um, because he really was 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 digging in, um, but I also I, I want dogged. Uh, reporters right. who yeah, who aren't willing down. to accept and 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 the other part of this that I that I keep ta- talking to people I've talked to a number of groups about this that I think that is misunderstood. I as I've told you before, I am not in the opinion business, but I am in the truth business. That's my job every single day, and that's what I was told my very first day of journalism school at the University of Kansas is that the truth was the only thing that would protect me. As I went through my career as a journalist and so we have a president now who plays so fast and loose with the truth That it's almost like standing in front of a bunch of cardiologists and chain-smoking While you're talking to mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. You're, you're daring them to because you're standing on really their Their most sacred piece of ground when you when you tell a journalist a lie
0: and 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 I feel like, so our good friend, Nolan Finley, who's the editorial page editor of the Detroit News, has been really hard on the press during Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. this last two years. And and, and what he has said is that we've allowed this president with his norm-busting behavior to break our norms. Yes, In other words, that we are now behaving in ways that we should not and would not have contemplated before this presidency in reaction to him. And- and that we've taken the bait. Y- right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. and, and I don't know that I agree 100 percent with that. But I do think that there are examples of it. And when something like this happens, the first thing that jumps into your mind now is, is this the press overreacting
1: to this president? I, 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 I completely I, I take that point very, uh, very much to heart. And I think there's some real there's some real truth to it. Um, We are kind of that's what and that's what I mean. This constant tangle back and forth. I think the Washington Post um, fact checker has now (laughs) uh, libraried about uh, over (laughs) 5000 mistruths that have been told during this presidency. It's an average of uh, four or five a day. Um, That really does put a stick in the eye of, of, of journalists, right? I mean, that's what we do. And, and for you to tell us something that we know isn't true is really, uh, it, it's almost impossible for us not to take that bait. That's right. And the, and the comparison, the, 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 the lie that I always go back to was the very first one out of the gate about it being the largest the, inauguration the crowd, the crowd ever. What were we supposed to do with that as journalists? Was that important? Not really, not really. And yet, were we just supposed to let it go? That's not really what we do either. Yeah. You know, it got us off to a terrible start. <laughs> right.
0: And and I think with, with all, as it has been with all of these sort of uh, episodes with this president, y- you have a mix of response. There was an appropriate response to that, which was to show photos of yep. aerial photos of the crowd and then compare them to right. other inaugurations right. and to say, he says this is the largest crowd in history. Your eyes will tell you that that's not so, but there was also a lot of taunting, almost of his press secretary at the time, uh, whose name I now can't Sean remember Spicer. That. Sean Spicer, right? Or so, Melissa, or the Melissa McCarthy, Melissa McCarthy version, if you prefer. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I mean, there was there was a ridicule uh, yes, of yes. of it, of the messenger and the message that I'm not sure was. Terribly appropriate
1: probably not and that's what I mean that very first day poured the cement in a really um, You know we got off to a really bad rough-and-tumble start and it hasn't gotten any better one hardly a day since Um, I I, I, I Do wish that it's funny because people say the media should do this the media as if we're all monolithic you know, I, and I always joke, well, you know what, I'm going to bring that up at the next meeting. Well, we don't, we don't work that way. <laughs> we don't even well. have meetings. <laughs> we don't have meetings. And I do worry that once we get past this era, um, there are going to be some newsrooms that are going to have to, um, I don't know if you want to say reel back in their behavior, but they're going to have to re-examine the way that they've you know bend. To, to, uh, Fox News is one of them I mean you're gonna when you've got Sean Hannity standing on stage with the president at a rally the night before an election um it, yeah. it, it, we are not it, in Kansas anymore <laughs> it, it, yeah that's right and and by the same token the other side uh you know CNN which I have always wanted to be um uh, far more uh, Switzerland um in, in this whole thing they've kind of you know they're, they're They've gotten really loose with uh, with with that neutrality that I that I sort of cherish the Blurring
0: of the lines, right? right? Yeah, it's okay to have somebody on who's a commentator. It's Mm -hmm. okay to have somebody on who has opinions and ask them to share those opinions. It's not okay to put that person on a panel with other journalists uh, whose job it is to not express their opinion, and then not really bifurcate, right? Uh, Right. There's this blending of all of the information as though it's one, as opposed to saying, well, this is news, and then this is the analysis uh, that that we want
1: to help you to understand the news. That's also happened with newspapers. Uh, In the the old days, um, when I picked up the newspaper, I knew it was page six. I knew that that was all of this editorial content. Um, the, I didn't confuse it with the other pages in the paper. Well, now online, it's all jumbled together. It's hard to make that distinction. It's hard to make this thing. But you bring up another point that I think is really important. Um, people will, uh, will say, well, uh, look what CNN said. And they'll run a clip with a panel, you know, a person who has been brought on to share their opinion. Now, on Flashpoint, I would hate for something that, say, you said, that said on right. Flashpoint for it to be then represented as, look what Channel 4 said, look what Flashpoint said. I'm just hosting, uh, you know, this this forum of voices, uh, and I think each of those voices is responsible for the content of that opinion, <laughs> right? Not um, That doesn't absolve me of the responsibility of putting it into the public forum, into the public sphere, um, but I think it's important to, you know, Stephen Henderson's responsible for his opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not not necessarily Flashpoint. Yeah. Uh,
0: this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and my guest is Devin Skillian, an anchor with WDIV Channel 4 here in Detroit. Uh, we are talking about... The extraordinary week in the news, starting with the elections, but certainly not ending there. We've seen the Attorney General of the United States lose his job. We've seen the Mueller investigation again put in a position of doubt as to whether its future will be secure. And we saw a dust-up in the East Room of the White House between the President of the United States and one of the correspondents uh, who works there each day covering the White House. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what do you make of the president's reactions and actions since the election this week. What do you think about Democrats in Michigan this week having swept their major races? Devin and I are going to talk about that in a little bit. Also call and tell us what you think about the relationship between this White House and the press corps. Do you think the press is out of line in the way that they cover Donald Trump, even if you believe that Donald Trump is himself out of line in the way that he conducts himself as President of the United States. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Devin, I, I want to switch now to, to just the elections themselves. Did anything surprise you on Tuesday?
1: Well, it was interesting. I thought that... Um I, I think we kept looking at thinking that a lot of races and a lot of individual states were going to be this bellwether, and again, this is our sort of, <laughs> to go back to the idea of monolithic thinking, and so when we started to see what was happening with returns in Michigan, there was this huge rush of women voters coming out, Richard Zuba, our pollster, and I were looking at each other, and we almost um, reflexively thought, well, this is what's going to happen tonight everywhere. Well, the blue wave wasn't everywhere, but it sure was in Michigan. That yes. was, a, was a little bit of a surprise to me that um, if I, I wouldn't just say Michigan. I guess I would say the Great Lakes states. I just to say the, 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 so-called, the so-called blue wall um, is being sort of uh, rebuilt a little bit, which is going to be a really interesting thing headed toward 2020. Because Donald Trump, it's hard to find his path without the industrial Midwest, which really pushed him into the White House. Mm-hmm. You know, the last time. So what is whatever's going on here? I thought that was really interesting. Um, but it was you know to stand back and look at all of the firsts, which we knew were possible, but almost all of them clicked in. They did. The things that happened down ballot, I think, were a lot of the uh, I, we knew. Whitmer was going to win. We knew Stabenow was, was, was most likely to win. And uh, interestingly, you know, Dana Nessel seemed to be the one who was maybe the, the one Democrat that might have the most trouble, and uh, and she won too. Um, but you stand back and look at all of these different things that happened down the ballot. Um, I was shocked that we saw Andrew Richner and uh, Andrea Fisher Newman uh, removed regions from at the re- regions at, the U- at U of M um, lose out of there. We... It, it's really hard to knock off a sitting Supreme Court justice. That doesn't happen very often, and that happened. Um, so some of these other uh, th- the, these effects that happened further down the ballot were were really fascinating. And that's because uh, we wondered if you know is that still going to happen without straight ticket, right? And right, and would people go down right. and and either skip those
0: lower races or, or split their, split their votes. This time they clearly did not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nationally, did, did, did you think that the difference between what happened here and at the national level says something else about the president's prospects in 2020 or?
1: It's a really good, uh, it's a really good question. I think nationally, uh, this uh you know, he he was never really successful with women voters. No, ever. No, um, but the divide has gotten more severe. The suburban rural thing that we're watching happen has, I think, really big ramifications for us as a in our national conversation. It does. It makes things harder. Yeah, it really does. I think that's a fascinating issue. Um, you know, Ted Cruz. What? What? I, I used to live in. I spent a lot of time in Texas and used to live there and. Um, I had I, 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 people kept saying you, all the talk about Cruz maybe losing. I didn't see that possible at you all, didn't. and yet well, you know, I was a little well, surprised at the at, close. At, at, at the closeness of it. So there's something interesting happening in Texas that we haven't seen um, before. I I just still uh, roll my eyes that are we're we're back to counting votes again in Florida.
0: Yes. Well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean we're going to recount votes in Florida again. It's just it's it's really. Uh, Florida is such a, a strange political animal, and, and so much of our national conversation boils down to what happens with what voters happens there.
0: So so for me, the big takeaway yeah. of the week uh, in terms of electoral questions is this, this Florida question, not just the governor's race or the Senate race, but this elimination of felon disenfranchisement, which mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. is a major game changer not just in Florida in terms of the number of people who now will be able to exercise their right to vote, but in terms of the national narrative about voter access and vote yeah. protection, it changes the conversation, I think. I mean, that passed overwhelmingly in a state that still is a pretty conservative place uh, when when all is said and done.
1: I think it's a really uh, important insight, and, and it's funny, uh, there's a party that wants to go, well, that can't. that can't be a huge impact. You're talking about a lot of people. It's 1.5 million people. It's <laughs> actually a lot of people. Yeah. Exactly. Now, how motivated they are to necessarily uh, get engaged with the process, I, you know. We don't know. Who knows? Because they right. haven't been a part of of the process, you know, for, for so long do they jump back into an institution. But the, the potential, you're right, is, is massive.
0: It's It could change all kinds of things up and down the ballot there. You know, when I uh, was a Supreme Court correspondent, In Washington, I spent a lot of time in the summers when the court was gone going to to states and covering various issues that I thought would come to the court uh, in in later terms. And when Jeb Bush was the governor in Florida, I went down and spent some time uh, covering this issue of uh, felon disenfranchisement. And I went to these hearings that they have where people who had been in prison come before the governor and three or four other people and basically beg for their voting rights back, uh, and it was a fascinating experience. I mean, the, the the passion with which these people wanted their voting rights back, the, the, the sort of cool reception they would often get from Jeb Bush, who would say right. things like, right. well, how sorry are you really? Or what's the role of your faith uh, in your life now? I mean, the questions that shouldn't have anything to do yeah. with whether you get yeah. to vote— uh, in that state, it is a huge, huge issue, this idea of we, people not being able to vote because they committed a crime.
1: We are so long overdue on a real conversation about what we expect our prisons to be. Is this just a, 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 a warehouse of punishment? to just, or, or do we really expect it to be a rehabilitator? Do we expect people to walk out of there being restored to American life? Um, I'm not sure we've ever fully addressed that question. I think we're always kind of duplicitous about it. That's right. Um, And you really feel it, you really sense it when you watch, as we've watched some of these people who've been exonerated after spending 30 or 40 years. Didn't even do it. Didn't even do it. Um, And, you know, we, we, uh, we, we view them in a different light than other people that are walking out of prison who have for at least the way our system talks, they have they have paid their debt. Right. They've done what they're supposed to do. Why should they continue to be punished? Yeah, it's it it's a make fascinating, sense. fascinating question. All right, we're going to take a
0: break. When I come back, we're going to continue our
1: conversation with
0: Devin Skillian. And we're going to get to the phones. The phones are full. Uh, Bruce in Beverly Hills, John on the east side, Philip in Royal Oak, Haley in Detroit, Wayne in Windsor. We'll get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for joining us. My guest is Devin Skillian. He's an anchor at WDIV Channel 4 here in Detroit.
1: We're hey, talking. Before we go on, yeah. repeat what you just told me, though, about about the number of, of men in. Oh, yeah. We were talking about Florida. the Florida
0: disenfranchisement law. 40% of all African American men in Florida are disqualified from voting because 40% of that. Like, 40%. I, I,
1: I had. Yeah. Uh, that's just a, yeah. astonishing it's because a, it, of some kind of conviction somewhere along the that's line that's right
0: that's right uh, and it's it's a mind-blowing change it will change the face of the electorate in that state which we have seen for several decades now as a, uh, a swing state a, you yeah. know a bellwether i don't know how swing it will be if even half of those people start voting regularly uh, presuming, of course, that well, they Well, we can't would get half of the Democratic. population to vote. Yeah, right. <laughs> Any population <laughs> in America right. to vote regularly. Right. <laughs> yeah. But if you think of how close elections always are in Florida, we're yeah. really yeah. only talking yeah. about uh, a little smidge that you need to get over the hump. So uh, that's going to be, I, I think that is the biggest story nationally uh, that, that happened in, in the elections this week. But we'll yeah. see how it turns out. Yeah. All right. We got a ton of callers today, and we want to get them into the conversation. Let's start with Haley. In Detroit. Haley, welcome to Detroit today.
2: Hi, good morning. Hey. Um, I guess I'm just wondering if Trump's, you know, fascist behavior is sort of abhorrence of checks and balances and playing fast and losing with the truth. I wonder if that sort of warrants a different role for the media to play, possibly a more combative, a combative role. Like we had Nancy Pelosi today, uh, this week sort of give us the regular line of our bipartisanship and I'm just not sure that this sort of normal approach is appropriate at a time like this. You and have, I'm curious your thoughts. Really
1: that's a great question. Y- you have hit on a, a debate that is uh, raged in a lot of newsrooms. Um, should we put uh, is it really incumbent upon us to air um, a, what we know to be a lie not the truth? Um, the, back when they were holding daily press briefings and all the uh, cable news stations were carrying them stem to stern live, once you started to realize that a lot of the things that Sarah Sanders was going to say weren't true, or is it incumbent upon us to carry that simply because, well, you, you end up saying, well, but this is the president and this, this is the White House and they have earned that podium, uh, which is a very legitimate Argument, mm-hmm. and then the other side is: Wait a minute, we can't just let all this. We're going to have to either put it on a tape delay so that we can fact check it. Uh, <laughs> it's not incumbent upon us to um, put into the public conversation things that we know to be untrue. It, it is a it is a huge debate that that Haley has just yeah. sort of tapped into.
0: Well, and it's it it echoes other discussions that we always have in newsrooms about how much you put your thumb on the scale mm-hmm. to make sure that what you're telling the readers or the viewers or the listeners is true. And it gets back to that idea that we you were talking about earlier, that truth is the gold standard right. and what somebody says or does has to fit into that some way in a rational way. And this White House has challenged that uh, f- that sensibility for us in the media more than anything I've ever seen because – Lying is such a big part of what they do. I mean, it is a routine practice and done intentionally to mislead. So do you treat that the same way as somebody who
1: you can reasonably expect is trying to tell you the truth? And and what I always when people want to tell me well the media is dishonest I'm like well let's let's look at what happens the media makes mistakes there's no doubt about that but let's look at what happens the difference when when the when a newspaper makes a mistake there's a at least if it's a respectable newspaper sure. that we all you know um, the Washington Post say they run a correction they run a retraction they may run an apology uh, somebody may lose their job mm-hmm. over getting a fact wrong what happens when the white house gets something wrong the practice is basically don't explain don't apologize there's never there's remember no when the president said look what happened in sweden last night there was never a oh i got that wrong nothing happened in sweden <laughs> um so I, I i but our ability to fact check in real time is what's really being tested here um it, it's really d- difficult to one of these days we're going to develop some AI that, you know, just sort of starts to turn the screen right. a certain Red. color or you know, <laughs> ripple, you know, goes through uh, when, when a lie is told. But we're, we're not we're not there. And so trying to fact check this real time is it's keeping difficult. is keeping producers uh, at, the, at the cable stations ridiculously yeah. busy. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, let's go to Wayne in Windsor. Wayne, what's on your mind?
1: Thanks for taking my call, gentlemen. Sure. Uh,
2: as an observer here in Canada, uh, I just wanted to quickly uh, follow up on uh, what you were mentioning about facts. I don't think facts are important anymore. Uh, there was that big debate on facts and alternative facts, and uh, you know, like it's a fact Trump got lost the popular vote. That's a fact. It's also an alternative fact that he won the electoral college and is president. Like, and you know, he can play that game forever. But I think what I have noticed is. Uh, the tone and the, uh, just my gut feeling is that the Democrats are becoming completely unhinged now, especially since Kavanaugh. The uh, midterms didn't go the way that they had expected, and Sessions is out, and Ginsburg's in the hospital, and the economy's doing well. And uh, I see this Acosta thing yesterday, and, you know, the average person watching that just seemed like he'd he got a chance to ask his question, and even though it wasn't really a question, it was more like challenging the president. and The president answered him. He said, "You know, you and I have different opinions. You know, like what the definition of an invasion is. Like, it just seems like a stupid game." <laughs> <being played
0: by. laughs> now, Wayne, I I really appreciate that perspective, and I and I love that uh, that it I think injects that distance that most people who are watching these things have from it you know as a journalist I spend all day every day looking at reading uh, um, thinking about all of these things and so my perspective on it is necessarily uh, warped Uh, somebody else who, who you know is busy Doing their job and Having raising a their life. family and doing all these other things <laughs> right, uh, they're not they're not as dug into it as we are, and it looks different to them. And I'm not sure that that what Jim Acosta was doing to just uh, just a person who's checking in on the news for the day for five minutes to see what happened. I, I, I wonder if more of them might have that same reaction that Wayne had.
1: I I I think that's certainly true. I mean, you can imagine it. A dentist watching somebody else filling a tooth and thinking, well, that's not how I would fill it. And most of us, well, we don't know. Right. Um, I, I, I will push back, though, on this idea of alternative facts. Uh, the the two that he pointed out. Those are facts. Those are both facts that coexist <laughs> with each other yeah. in the American political system. Then one of them is not an alternative fact. And and. It, to me, alternative facts is that that's that's not a thing. Those are just lies. That is not a thing, and I really don't know how to be a journalist if we arrive at a post-truth world. I I don't know. That's not journalism. I don't, I don't know what that is, and I don't really. I, I I don't. I I can't see a place for me in that world if that's where we're really eventually going to be. Um, you'll have to you guys will have to go figure that out because <laughs> yeah, I, right? I don't really uh, I so I push back on 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 that, yeah. that part of it but the rest of it yeah it's he's he's you and I live in this Sturm and Drang 24 hours a day and we're probably in fact that's what my, my wife Corey is like I, I don't know how you're doing this <laughs> every day how can you just listen to this drumbeat you had enough right? yes. <laughs> please
0: uh, Wayne again thanks for the call and the, the really insightful comments. Let's go to Philip in Royal Oak. Philip, welcome to Detroit today.
2: Good morning. Hey. Um, uh, I just had a, a quick comment. Um, I'm, I was wondering um, what would happen if uh, journalists and the news media started just reporting on the president's actions and the White House's actions as opposed to the lies and maybe somewhat bigoted comments coming out of the White House. But at the same time, you know, these lies that are being reported by news media sell a lot of media. Mm. <laughs> and the, mm. I mean, so it's kind of a, a difficult position because, you know, news outlets need to make money. But at the same time, are they just simply you've
0: got a responsibility? Lies? Sure. Yeah. Philip, that's uh, that's a really great uh, question. I'm glad you called and asked this idea of saying we're not going to repeat the things just come out of the white house if they aren't true uh, saying we'll cover what they do and the things that that actually matter I, I i've heard a lot of journalists debate that in the last 2 years and and i don't and i don't know that there's an answer to philip's question yet i think it's one of those things that we're thinking about but but it almost gets back to haley's question which is does this fundamentally change the way we as journalists deal with uh, public officials does what Donald Trump's doing alter forever the way we report on the things that people tell us
1: we have um, a responsibility uh, to not necessarily absolve someone from what they say you know I mean it, it <laughs> I, I I understand exactly the point let's just focus on, uh, actionable things, what's actually happening. Provable. And that and the, all of the rhetoric is just sort of ethereal, you know, garbage that doesn't really amount to anything. I get that. But I also know that words ha- have real consequences. And um, w- the president's comments after Charlottesville weren't necessarily describing an action. But I think those, you know, do we do we just sort of ignore... What was said, again, the bully pulpit is a powerful thing, and it comes with the presidency. It does. And so I I think there is – but to his point of profitability, I do believe this is a big problem, especially in the cable news world. It is so much cheaper to set five people down in chairs and let them talk for 30 minutes than it is to um, fully fund – Five reporters who can be and and uh, camera crews and audio, you know, uh, producers who are out there putting together um, five ten minute long form think pieces from all over the world about what's happening in the world. That part, I really do wish we could find a way to get back to the nuts and bolts of reporting rather than opining. Yeah.
0: Okay, Devin Skillian anchor at WDIV Channel 4 here in Detroit. It is always great to have you here with us on Detroit today. Love hanging out with you, Stephen. Yeah, we'll Thanks. talk with you soon. You bet. Up next, we are going to talk with a trans woman who sued her employer for sex discrimination after she was fired. She is going to be honored by the ACLU of Michigan at its annual dinner today. Stay with us on Detroit today.